Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. I want to speak to you tonight out of 1 Samuel and uh, it's a it's a great, great story. In fact, many of you would never have heard the story. It's the story of David and Goliath. This is the first time you've heard this story, yeah? Okay, all right. So everyone's heard that story. So I, I want to speak to you about David and Goliath. And, and, uh, but before I do that, just to let you know, tonight I want to speak to you also about broken dreams. And uh, I think that the whole reason this series, and not just this series, but our theme for the year, it focuses on dream again. Now, I'll tell you the kind of people that need to dream again. It's the people that have had a dream, watched it fail, and then that shuts down sort of envisioning their future. And so they need to dream again. So dream again comes out of broken dreams, I think, which is why we're starting there tonight. So uh, if you have a Bible and you want to go there, you can go there, First Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be Begin in verse 17. Let me read for you tonight. It says, And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they were in Uh, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them. Behold, the champion of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled. All the men, they fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to do what? To defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what should be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach, which is the shame of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So it shall be done to the man who kills him. Why don't we pray together for tonight? Lord, uh, we're beginning something new tonight. And so my prayer is that we would be uh, ready to receive the dreams and the visions and the things that you want to plant in our hearts. Lord, even when I look across this room tonight, I see people of great capacity. I see people of great vision. I see people with dreams in their hearts. And, and, and uh, Lord, I know that for some of us, we haven't actually realized some of those things. But Lord, I know that you're taking us on a journey. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be listening to you, that we'd be leaning into you. That, Lord, when we dream at night, we'd be entertaining what it is that you say to us. Lord, some of us are just really good at daydreaming. And I pray that even when we daydream, we're dreaming of great things for you. And I pray that you get in on that. And that, Lord, you begin to speak and pour out vision to your people. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So um, many years ago, I decided that I wanted to get a new job. The job that I had, I, I just hated it. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I uh, applied for a new job. And this job was something that I thought that I would be very good at. It was a, it, all you had to do. Well, not true, but you, it involved a lot of talking and people. And I was like, oh, awesome. My two favorite things. So I thought, okay, I'm going to apply for this job. And it was a territory manager's role, which basically like an area manager. So you would go around and meet businesses and talk to people and, and so forth. And I thought, man, this is going to be a great job for me. And so I applied for the job and I got through the first couple of rounds of interviews. And I thought, this job is mine. And I got so far down the interview process that I started to envision what it would look like when I had that job. It had the package, car, phone, laptop. I started to envision what my life would look like, the hours that I'd be doing, where I'd be traveling to. I mean, I really entertained this dream and I was excited about it. I was excited about uh, stepping into this new season and new job and all the rest of it. So every day I would call the recruitment lady and I said to her, hey, have you heard back? Did I get the job? And she'd say, I'm sorry, I haven't called back. I haven't heard back from them. I say, okay, let's do this again tomorrow. So every day I would call this lady just waiting to hear what she would say to me. And until I heard those words, hey, I just heard back. Guess what? You got the job. So one day my phone rings while, while I'm at work and I recognize the number because I had dialed it a million times. And so I looked at it. I said, oh, here's my job. So I answered the phone and I picked it up and I'm all happy and I said, um, you know, hello. And she explains to me and she, she begins to speak to me and she tells me the words that I did not expect. She said the things that I did not think were going to happen. And she said, hey, listen, I'm really sorry, but, you know, you didn't get the job. And when I heard those words, I was, I was basically, I'm like, you're, but you're wrong. I definitely got that job. I definitely got that job. I know it. I've seen it. I've dreamed about it. I'm excited about it. I've got to get that job. She said, look, I'm sorry you didn't get it. And I've got to tell you, man, I was devastated, you know. I was rejected from getting the job. But, you know, sometimes when you get rejected from getting a job, you forget that it's just a job. You start to take a little personal. And you're like, what was it about me that they didn't like, you know. And I was trying to go over the interview in my head and I was thinking, what did I say wrong and what did I do wrong and why is it that they didn't hire me for that job? And, and I started to think about this and then you know what? All kinds of crazy thoughts and voices and words, they start to come into your head when this happens. I start to think, well, you know what? Maybe I'll never get a job and maybe I'm just doomed to this job that I hate for the rest of my life and I'm, I, it's never going to change for me. And I got frustrated. I got heartbroken. My dreams were absolutely dashed, you know? That was my way out, but I was never going to get that job. I think everyone knows what it feels like to have their dreams broken. At some point, their dreams broken. There's something that you were hoping for and you wanted to see it and you didn't and it just didn't come to pass. You know, dreams are kind of like goals and everyone's got goals in life for something. You may have a goal for your family, you know, maybe your family's not close and you know that and you think, you know what, I've got a goal. I've got a dream. 
I've got a dream when one day my family, we will just all get along and I can have a great relationship with my brother or my sister or whatever it is. Maybe the thing that you've got goals for or dreams for is for, if you're here and you're married, it's for your marriage. This is where we want to go and this is what we want to do, you know? And the thing is, is that I've met people that are uh, uh, God-loving, Christ-serving people and they have ended up divorced, didn't plan it, had their heart broken and it's just one of those things that has happened in their life and and you know they've had their dreams smashed they've had their dreams broken but we all have dreams about something that we'd like to see happen in our life and the effect the effect of a broken dream in your life it causes you to reconsider the position you previously held you see the thing is about this is before you've faced any kind of big challenge in life What is your position? Your position is God is good. Life is amazing. I wake up every day and the birds are singing. I love this. I I mean, I'm full of faith. God, I can handle anything, right? And a problem that is so large, it it, it suddenly presents itself in in your life and it causes you to reconsider the position you previously held. Because it took you by surprise. Phil Pringle said this. He said, faith doesn't just turn off. Your faith just, it doesn't just turn off, but a giant problem will walk into your life and it causes you to reconsider your position. See, you can have a position of faith when you're not being challenged. You understand that? You can be so full of faith when nothing is going wrong, and at that point in your life, you feel like you could take on anything. Man, my faith is strong. And yet, some, some giant problem walks into your life. It's a mountain of a problem. Something you didn't expect, something you didn't encounter. And what do you start to do? You suddenly start to reconsider your faith position and you say, Oh, maybe I don't have what it takes. Or maybe God's not going to answer my prayer. You know, the thing about Israel is they had this dream. They were slaves for 400 years and they had this dream that what was going to happen is that they would be free. 400 years later, God shows up and does the most amazing things and He, and he parts the ocean and He, he parts the, the Red Sea and they walk through and they go into the wilderness and they saw signs and miracles and wonders and now this giant problem called Goliath is threatening to enslave their entire nation. And they're looking at this mountain of a man, this mountain of a problem. And they're looking at it and they're saying to reconsider the position they previously held to be true. You see, up until this point, they have seen God do amazing things. I mean, honestly, God made the sun stand still. He did amazing things. And they heard these stories told from generation to generation. But now a man who's bigger than any other man they see comes out and he stands before them. And what did the scripture say? It says, but they fled. Because why? Because they were afraid. And it caused them to reconsider their position. See, when you start to reconsider your position, you can do it, but there's only a couple of other positions you can really take. If you're in the position of faith, all well and good. But if you reconsider your position when a giant problem comes your way, what is the position you will take? You can take the position of anxiety where you start to worry about tomorrow 
when you start to fret about your day, start to fret about your future, you can take the position of hopelessness. You can take the position of fear. And as you start to take these positions, you know what you're doing? You're reconsidering your faith position. You believe that all things were possible. All things are possible. Unstoppable God. You're singing this song. And tomorrow you wake up and something comes to your door and it greets you in the morning, something you did not expect. And you're like, I don't know. Suddenly you seem like you might be stopped. You've reconsidered your position. And I tell you what is really sad is when people reconsider their position and they start to live with a fear of the future. They start to become afraid. Now, let me explain something. Fear is the enemy of your dreams. Fear is the enemy of your dreams. When you dream, you dream about your future. You get excited about your future. But if you're always afraid about tomorrow, what does that do to your dreams? If you're afraid about what is going to happen tomorrow, you're no longer excited about what is coming towards you being your future. You start to panic. You start to get worried. You start to fret. You start to be concerned. You start to have anxiety. But I need to explain something to you about broken dreams and fear. Broken dreams are not meant to stay that way. In fact, oftentimes, if you've ever experienced a broken dream, God's given you something. He's spoken a word to you. You thought you heard from Him and you started to act on that. And then your hopes were dashed or something happened that you didn't expect. Let me tell you something. Your life is not supposed to stay that way. In fact, broken dreams are supposed to be segues to greater opportunities for you. How many of us understand this is that when Israel were led through the Red Sea, and then they went through the wilderness. When they went through the wilderness, they had to fight and they had to battle and they were gaining strength and gaining numbers. Do you understand that sometimes God takes you through a series of steps before He can deliver your future to your doorstep? Because the truth is, is that if God dropped on you what He's preparing you for right now, you might be crushed by it rather than excited by it. So He spends a series of years, years that, of your life getting you prepared, getting you for ready. Some dreams look like they're broken. Uh-uh, they're meant to be segues to something else. It becomes, when you have a broken dream and you think, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but then you do. It becomes an opportunity, a platform for you to step up into something new that God has for you. So you can't look at every broken dream and say, this is what God has for me. But I'll tell you something, if you quit now, it may end in failure. If you quit now and you say, this is the end, it was a broken dream, it was a foolish idea, I shouldn't have expected that I could do this, I should never have gone that way. If you quit right now, you could quit and what was meant to be a segue will end up being a dr broken dream for you because you quit ahead of time. So sometimes what you need to do is to develop an attitude where you say, you know what, if God gave me a dream, if God spoke to me, He's not saying that this is over or that this is finished, but I'm going to grow through this and go up. I'm going to go to something else. God's going to deliver some other future to me. When it comes to planning your future, you have to be really careful about who you listen to. You have to be really careful about who you listen to. Now, I say this because I know and I've spoken to people that believe they've heard from God. And then they go and they do something rash and it doesn't work out. And they've come back to me and they say, what's wrong with God? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm trying to find the words to tell you what's wrong with you. Because it's actually not God. You've got to understand, God doesn't set you up to fail. But the truth is, sometimes we think we hear something and, and, 
and we're not quite sure. And what should you do? Well, you take it to people that you trust. You take, take it to people that speak into your life. If you have a dream, you should share it with someone, but be careful who you share it with. Be careful who you speak to. Let, I want to pick up this next part of this story with David as he goes and visits his brothers. It says in uh, verse 28 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, about when David spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You know when he says, Hey, why have you come down? And who's looking after the sheep? Do you know what he's saying to David? He's saying, you don't belong here. Do you know who you are? You're a sheep boy. You look after sheep and, and, and that's all you're good for. So you shouldn't be on the battlefront. This is not where you belong. This is where the men are. You are a boy. You are meant to just tend to the sheep. You're looking after the sheep. That's what you're good for. Stay back in your box and don't start to come here and ask questions about what could happen to the man who kills Goliath. You shouldn't entertain that. He goes on. He says, I know the presumption and the evil of your heart for you have come down to see the battle. So here is David ready to maybe, maybe just entertaining the possibilities of faith about slaying this giant of a problem called Goliath. And his older brother, Eliab, he says to him, uh, I know the evil that's in your heart. Evil? Are you kidding me? But Eliab doesn't like the fact that David's going to come down and, and maybe take on this Goliath. So he says, oh, this is evil that's in your heart. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And what did David do at this point? Eliab is speaking to him. He says, I know the evil that is in your heart. And it says, and David, he turned from him toward another. He turned from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him uh, again as before. You notice that when David spoke to his brother and his brother uh, started to say, you know, Hey, what do you think you're doing here? Get back in your box. You belong with the sheep and all the rest of it. And he started to say, I know the evil that's in your heart. It says, David, he didn't listen to him anymore. He didn't listen to him anymore. It says he turned his back on his brother and he spoke to another. How many of you have had an Eliab in your life? How many of you have had an Eliab in your life? That when they hear the things that are in your heart, Rather than getting around you or encouraging you, they're deeply challenged by you. And instead of actually saying, hey, that's great. Sounds like that's from God. If God's for you, who dare be against you? They say, you should quit. They say, you should give up. They should say, uh, you don't have the capacity. You don't have the strength. You don't have the speed. You don't have the intellect. You shouldn't apply for that. You should quit now. Give up, walk away. You're not big enough. You're not tall enough. You're not strong enough. And Eliabs of the world, they will come around you and they begin to talk you out of what God is actually wanting to say to you. You know, the thing about this is don't get talked out of your dreams by people like Eliab. You know, my kids, they have no problem with dreaming. They love dreaming. They tell me about their dreams every morning. I had dreams when I was a kid. I've said this before, but I'll say it again because it's a very important part of this message, obviously. When I, was, when I was a kid, you know what I wanted to be? I wanted to be a pilot. 
I had a little flight suit, and uh, it had lapels. It was pretty cool. And I would wear that. Actually, every Sunday, I would wear that to church. You know why? Because I was a pilot. That's what I wanted to do. I was dressing like it. I was acting like it. I got a little older. discovered you needed maths. I said, it's not for me. I won't be a pilot anymore. I thought, well, I'm not going to be a pilot. What am I going to do? And then I realized my dream job. And you have had the same dream, no doubt. I feel very comfortable sharing this with you. I, I wanted to be a squishy bus driver. Not like a squishy bus driver. I mean like a squishy bus driver. Do you know, like the, do you know the really big buses and they got the squishy part in the middle? And when they go around the corner and the whole bus, it just bends. That is cool. I'm like, that is mad. I, I, took a, I took a trip on a squishy bus once and I stood in the middle and it squished around me. I said, man, this is the job for me. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I know what I want to do. I've got all the vision in the world. I'm going to be a squishy bus driver. And I don't know what happened to that dream. Maybe someone talked me out of it. My kids, they got cooler dreams than me. You know what my kids want to do? <laughs> Isaac wants to be the Hulk. And that is an awesome dream. And it's really funny because he's very small and very skinny, right? And, and, and that's the crazy part about it. But we did buy him a Hulk onesie. It's his pajamas. He sleeps in it. So I'm going to encourage a dream. Let him figure it out on his own, you know? It's like it's probably not going to happen. But, you know, but he, he, he loves dreams. Kids have no problem dreaming. But what happens to kids? What happens to dreams? You know what happens? They start to get older. And as they get older, they begin to accumulate experiences that begin to talk them out of their dreams. And maybe, maybe one of those experiences that you, 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 know, you fail at something. And since you failed, you said, I failed at this. I could never do that. And so you let that failure speak to your future. Or maybe the experiences that kids start to accumulate can be a discouraging parent. A parent that never believes. And maybe this is your story. Maybe you had a parent that never believed in you. And they never spoke words of life over you. And they never said, you can do it. And they never encouraged you to break the mold or to go out and beyond. And they didn't fill you up with words. And when you did something wrong, they pointed it out. And they pointed out all your mistakes, but they never pointed out the things that you did really well. And they didn't encourage you and get behind you. Maybe you had a parent like that. Maybe you had a teacher like that. And your teacher made fun of you in class one day. And everyone laughed and everyone's forgotten about that. But you never forgot because it went deep. And you never let it go. Or maybe it was a mentor. Or how about this? Maybe it was a pastor, a church leader. And they came and they said something to you. And it was, it was like a sucker punch to your guts. And it just it took the faith right out of your world, right out of everything that you believe. And, and suddenly you were left feeling hollow and empty. Maybe that has been your experience. That's what happens to kids. They begin to accumulate experiences and then their dreams begin to fall through the cracks. And they say, I could not do that. Not big enough, not tall enough, not fast enough, not smart enough, not strong enough. Whatever, there are, there are so many enoughs that you think you should need to be. Can I remind you that what Paul said, he said it, that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the, the weak things of the world to shame the, Right. So what does God do? He takes people and by His grace, He does amazing things with their life, amazing things with their future. I'll tell you one story. I was playing basketball one time and I was uh, taking the ball down the court. And as I did, I stopped and I pulled up for a three-point shot. And as I did, something happened that was completely unexpected to me. 
And the guy that was in front of me, who was guarding me, he, another guy came to meet me. And so it was two on one. And he did something I did not expect. He looked at his friend and he said, hey, let's let this guy shoot. He'll miss for sure. He's no good. Let him shoot. We'll just get the rebound. And instead of actually defending me, they just walked back and they said, take your shot. You know what happened? I took that shot. You know what happened? Not missed. <laughs> missed and bad too. And I heard that. And then you know what happened after that? My next shot, what did I do? I missed. And I kept missing. And, I'm, and I started to think about this. I'm like, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm no good at this. Maybe I should just quit now. Maybe I should quit while I'm ahead. I should definitely sub myself off because I am missing a lot of shots. I'm like, but I'm, I'm feeling like I can't play this game whatsoever at all. And I'll tell you why. Because the guys that were playing against me, the, my opposition, you know where they beat me? Not on the basketball court. They beat me in here. They beat me in my mind. They beat my mentality. And that's what happens to kids. When their mentality is beaten, suddenly their dreams are lost. Because they start to sometimes believe things about themselves that aren't true. And let me explain something as well. Is that when you include the God factor, I'm telling you that anything is possible. And when God ever speaks to you and gives you a dream and puts it in your heart and it looks impossible, I think that's really awesome because suddenly God's going to get all the glory. So I get excited about seeing impossible things happen. I'm wondering what experiences you have in life that cause you to reconsider your position. Where have you taken a faith position and suddenly through one of these experiences, through something that you've gone through, it caused you to reconsider your position. And now no longer are you excited about your future, but you're full of anxiety about tomorrow. And you're full of fear about what could happen. And you're worried about how things might end up. You're not excited. You're not excited at all anymore. You're just worried about the future. And let me explain this to you, is that this is the story of our church. And this part, for some of you, it may sort of go a, a little over your head, but I have not always been the pastor of this church, like I said at the beginning. And so in the beginning, what we had was a lot of vision, a lot of vision was coming. I mean, we had vision coming out of our ears. It was, the church was so full of vision. It was, we were in a dreamlike state where everyone was pumped and excited about tomorrow. Everyone was pumped and excited about next week at church. How many more people will we have? What will it look like? What is God going to do? And what began to happen is all the things that were promised, some of them didn't come to pass. And I don't really think that that's the pastor's responsibility. If he heard from God and he spoke on God's behalf, it's up to God to deliver. But for whatever reason, things didn't happen. And people that signed up for the success of the church in the beginning, when it wasn't delivered on time, they began to get disillusioned. And they began to get frustrated. And it began to spill out into people's lives. And it began to spill out into people's conversations. Do you know it got so bad that this is what happened? When I took over the church, you know what people said to me? They said, whatever you do, Please, don't give us vision. Whatever you do, don't, please, I don't want to hear any vision about the future. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just took over the church. What do you think is going to happen? Like, we're not just going to exist in this current state. But that's what happens to people, is that they exist in their current state when they can no longer dream about the future because they're so afraid of what could happen, afraid of failure afraid and concerned about what might actually eventuate. 
So rather than getting excited and dreaming about it, they say, no, 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 don't even tell me about it. And I reckon it's a sad thing. It's, it's a sad thing when Christians can't get excited about the future anymore because they're too afraid of what might happen if they fail. They're too afraid of what, what, what might happen if it, things don't work out the way that they had actually planned. See, you've got to understand something. You've got to let go of your past. You have got to let go of your past. You have got to stop trying to resurrect the dead. You know, the, the past failures, the things that are supposed to be dead, I mean, resurrect the dead, but the things that are supposed to be buried in your past and you keep trying to resurrect it, you know what I'm talking about because every time you try something new, some reminder from your past speaks out against your future. And it says, oh, no, 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 remember me? Stop trying to resurrect it and stop engaging in conversations with past failure. I mean, learn from the past, but don't let it dictate what God wants to do in your life and in your future. Some of those things that you drag up, that you entertain, that you, that you conjure up, I mean, that thing is like, it's like something out of the walking dead. It is like, it is, it is dead. It is missing legs, eyeball, hanging out one arm. It is sick. It's crawling along the ground. And every time you try to take a step forward, it grabs onto your heel and it says, ah, don't you go forwards. Don't you remember me? And when you hear that voice from the past, it's grabbing onto you. Death grabbing onto you and saying, ah, don't you remember me? You messed this up before. Don't try this again. You seriously got to get a little bit of get up and go about you and say, get off me. I got places to be. I got things to do. God has called me. He's directed me. He's led me and he's guided me. And if he says I can do it, I can do it. And why did you start to let God begin to talk to your future rather than the failures of your past? Because if you don't let go of the failures of your past, you'll never dream about your future. How can you? Every time you start to dream about the future, you're only reminded about what happened in your past. How can God ever do anything new with you if you don't let Him? He's a God of new beginnings. But if you won't believe that, if you don't come to a place where you believe that, how is he supposed to give you a new beginning if you say, no, 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 I'm back in my past. I'm back in my failure. I'm, I'm back there somewhere. You begin to think about that and drag that out for a little while. You know what happens? Instead of taking a position of faith, you take a position that's far less than faith. You take a faithless position. And when you begin to take a faithless position and a faithless attitude, it will talk you out of your dreams. It will talk you out of God's dreams. It will talk you out of what God wants to do because you know what happens? When you've got a faithless attitude, it insulates you to what God can do with your life. It insulates you. In other words, I'm saying to you that even though it is possible that God could do something with you, if you don't believe it, it doesn't help you because you are insulated. You are no longer thinking about the possibilities about what God can do. You're no longer thinking about that. You're just thinking about your past mistakes. And the Eliabs of the world, they are the kind of people that will take your past and bring it up to you. Go back to the sheep, David. You're a sheep boy. What do you think you're doing here? This is where the men are. You're good for tending sheep and nothing else. So why don't you get back to your sheep, David? That's what the Eliabs of the world do. Man, I, I love the Lord's Prayer. Here's what happens in the Lord's Prayer. How does it begin? Our Father, who art in heaven. What's the next part? Hallowed be your name. Do you know what that means? 
Have you ever stopped and sat and right before you're about to engage with God in prayer about something that's important to you, something that's significant to you, a major problem in your life? Have you ever considered what hallowed be your name is actually meant to do for you? You stop and you think and you consider how amazing God is. You consider His might, His majesty, His magnificence, His ability, and He is not limited by any of the things that you are. So when you start to come to God in prayer, you say, oh, hallowed be your name. I, now I remember who I'm dealing with. I've been listening to all that stuff back there, but I remember who I'm dealing with right now. You are the God of the impossible. You are the God who's able to do all things, not some things, but you're the God that's able to do all things. And it would do you well to remember the kind of God that you pray to. So when you come to Him and you're thinking, I don't even know if I can begin to dream about my future, you remember that you are dealing with the God of the impossible. Hallowed be your name. You know what the answer is to broken dreams? The answer to broken dreams in your life is biblical promises. The answer to broken dreams is biblical promises. In other words, what am I saying? I'm saying it's God's Word. It's God's Word. What does the Bible say? It says that your word is a lamp unto my, and a light unto my, what is it meant to do? It's meant to guide our decisions. So when you come across a promise that's in the Bible, it's meant to lead you and guide you and direct you. That's why you're supposed to read the thing. Because it's going to lead you. It's going to guide you. It's going to direct your path and, and the future of your life. Do you know, uh, the word, what, what begins to happen is if you don't entertain some of these biblical ideas and promises, I'll, I'll tell you what happens. When you develop that faithless attitude and it talks you out of dreams, you need to go back to the Word of God and begin to remember what God said. It, it's called rehabilitating your mind. The Bible says this word, we need to re renew our minds. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, we're supposed to, God is going to do a renewing work in our mind and take all the pre-existing memories and thoughts and ideas and He begins to build something new out of it. Do you know the word rehabilitation is a word that was created in the late 16th century and it means to restore to former privileges. Rehabilitation. To restore to former privileges. You see... From the position of faith, I can access privileges that I cannot from a position of faithlessness. You see, this is what God says. He says, it's faith that pleases God. It's faith that moves mountain. It's faith that does these things. Faith accesses the impossible. But when you come to God without faith in your life and you take a position of faithlessness, the privileges that would be afforded to you are no longer accessible because you don't believe it's even possible. And that's why you have to begin to rehabilitate your mind. I want to read this next part of this story to you. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of, 
out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Do you notice something? When he first spoke about Goliath, he called him the Philistine. And when he said, You can't fight this Philistine, you know what David said? He said, Oh, no, no, he's, he's an uncircumcised Philistine. And I remember the first time that I read that and I thought that's a little unusual to make mention of the fact that he was uncircumcised. I thought, what is he really getting at there? What is he angling at? Is he saying, I'm circumcised, like I'm a little more nimble, like I've got less weight to carry so I can, like, I'm like, why is he talking about that? It seems like a little bit of an unusual thing to mention in the middle of a conversation with a king you can't fight him and he says did I mention that he was uncircumcised that's a really bizarre thing to say it's a strange thing for David to actually mention that all Israel in this story that we read where did they stand they stood in a position of fear they stood in a position where they said they were afraid it says that they fled they said, man, well, this guy has come out to defy Israel. In other words, he is going to defy us. And this is, this is happening. This is going down. They took the position of fear. Something about David is different. What did David do? David, he took a different position. Do you know where David stood? Where did David stand? Where did David stand? He stood on the promises of God. He stood on the Word of God. And you may have missed it in the Scripture that we just read, but this is why he mentions that he's actually an uncircumcised Philistine because you know what he's actually referring to is the Abrahamic covenant. A covenant is an agreement between us and God. And when you enter into that covenant, that agreement, you don't, you don't get to change it. And part of the Abrahamic covenant said that when you get circumcised, that is the sign, it's the seal, it's the token, it's the evidence that you have entered into a covenant with God. But when you're not circumcised and you haven't entered into the covenant with God, you don't get what they get. And he says, you know what? In that covenant, there were blessings and there were curses. And part of the blessing was, was that you would possess the gate of your enemies. In other words... Somebody that is circumcised, that has a covenant with God, that agrees with what they read, that agrees with what they understand, that they would possess the gate of their enemies, that it would ensure victory over their enemies. So here is what David is really saying. He's not just saying, this guy is uncircumcised. He's saying, you see this giant of a problem? Does anybody else see a, an issue with this? Here comes this giant to defy the people of Israel, to stand against the Lord's army. Does anyone remember that he's uncircumcised? Does anybody remember he has no deal with God? Does anybody remember we have a promise from God? Does anybody remember we have a word from God? And I'm going to stand on that promise. 
and unlikely as it could be that a shepherd boy, that all he's done is fight lions and bears, could face this man who's been killing people for years and years and stand there and defy this man called Goliath. It seems unreasonable. It seems unlikely. And yet, and yet, he says, if God has made this promise, I will make it through this battle. If God has promised us and said that I would possess the gate to my enemies, then what is about to happen? Get ready for a showdown because this thing is about to get crazy. What is the position that David takes? He takes the position of faith. Man, I tell you one of the things that I love, I love about this story is that it's all about the grace of God. It's all about God's grace towards His people. It is unreasonable, untenable, unlikely that David should ever fight this man, this giant called Goliath. And yet here he comes out to face down this guy who should really, by all rights, take him apart. You know, one of the things I love about the gospel message is this, is that no longer the, the spilling of blood was how you would enter into the covenant. One of the things I love about the gospel is that it doesn't require my blood to be spilled anymore because Jesus already did that on the cross for me. He died, His blood was spilt. And because of His blood being spilt for me, I get to access the covenant and the grace and the favour and the blessings of God. Everything that was on Jesus gets to be on me. I don't have to show up, shed one drop of blood because He already did it for me. He did it for me. So let me, let me just ask you a question tonight. Let's just see how you're going for one, for one moment. What position will you take what position will you take in life when a giant problem that you don't expect, when a Goliath-sized mountain of a thing gets in your way and says, it's going to be a showdown, I'm going to take you on. Will you take the position of faith? Will you take the position of favour, of grace, of blessing that God already has for you? You have to understand it's already on your life if you've given your heart to Jesus. Will you take that position or will you allow that thing that stands before you to begin to dictate to you the position that you should take? Will you step back from it? Will you begin to get worried? Will you begin to get anxiety? Will you begin to be full of fear and full of worry? If you're the kind of person that has struggled with this stuff, here is what God would say to you. He would say, it's time to dream again. He would say, it's time to dream again. It's time to start considering the possibilities about what God is able to do with your life. And no matter how young you are, what did Paul say to Timothy? He says, oh, don't let anyone despise you because of your age. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, no matter your history, no matter what you have done in your past, no matter the things that have been dragged up, man, that zombie's trying to grab onto your heel. You're trying to move forward. So he's like, ah, oh, remember me. You're like, get off. I don't have time for this because God's calling out me out of my past and into my future. So what position will you take? Now, I, I just want to finish this story for you. Can I do that? I want to finish this story for you. So here's how the story goes. David goes in and he, he's speaking with Saul and Saul goes, so you're going to fight this giant? And he says, yeah, that's right. I'm going to do that. He says, cool. Um, you better wear my armor. Except David is short and Goliath is, I mean, and Saul is really big. So he tries to put on Saul's armor and he can't put it on. He's like, I can't move in this. I can't. This is really uncomfortable. I've got to take this off. What does he do? He walks out with what he came in with. And what is he wearing? He's dressed like a shepherd boy. Dressed like a shepherd boy. 
He goes down to the brook. He takes out five smooth stones. He puts them in a pouch. Meanwhile, the armies of the Philistines and Israel, they're facing each other. And I imagine this story kind of playing out like this. You imagine being standing there on the side of the Philistines and there's a murmur across the crowd. You see all the thousands of soldiers there, but then something is happening. Something is going on. In the middle, I see some commotion. It's like everyone's moving and shuffling. Someone's coming through that gap. Someone's walking out onto the battlefield. I imagine Goliath at this time, he probably looked at his uh, shield bearer and he said, oh man, we've been waiting for a long time for this, but now someone's coming out to fight me. I'm going to make mincemeat out of this guy. You watch this, right? And so someone's coming out and Israel, the army begins to part. And then from all the heads that are up high, down this, this shepherd boy begins to walk out, staff in one hand, sling in the other. Whoop-de-doo, what is this guy going to do? And so he comes and he stands there, a shepherd boy. Goliath comes out and he meets him. And here's what happens next. It says, And the Philistine moved toward, moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. There is no way that David could know that. I think he edited this version and put that, I think he penned those words himself. I mean, let's face it. He swung the guy, a stone hit him. He cuts off, look, there's no way he knew David, Goliath thought that. But anyway, it says, And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. That's a pretty good intimidating threat from a man who was twice your height and very, very scary. That's a good speech, yeah? Would you agree? It's not bad. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of a host of Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hands. That's a good speech. That is a good speech. Of course, it probably wasn't so frightening to Goliath the first time he heard it, but by the time that stone had hit his head and his head was being lopped off with his own sword, boy, you know you screw up when you get killed and get your head cut off with your own sword. That's a speech. The battle is the Lord's. Man, I'm telling you guys tonight, I don't know what words have been spoken over you. I don't know what your battle is. Even in a room, even of this size, I'm telling you, there are battles that would be going on all over this place. The battle that you're facing. I don't know what dreams have been taken from you. I don't know what your teachers said about you. I don't know about your discouraging parents. I don't know about the things that people said, the Eliabs of the world who were meant to get around you and encourage you, but instead they said, quit, give up, walk away, not big enough, tall enough, short enough, strong enough, not smart enough, you're just not enough. 
And so rather than entertaining great possibilities about what God is able to do with your life, instead, you said, okay, well then I'll just walk away from it. But here's my encouragement to you, is that if God has given you a dream, the battle isn't even yours, it's His anyway. When you hear a word from God, you can stand on it. You can stand on the promises of God. What does the Bible say? But that His Word, it will not return to Him void. In other words, He's saying, when God speaks, it will happen every time. What did Jesus say? He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain. It is more likely that we wake up tomorrow and the universe is over than for what God said to be a lie. So when God begins to speak to you, you begin to entertain it. When God begins to speak to you, you begin to dream again. And if you've gone through a season of failure in your life and you feel like giving up or quitting or walking away, I'm telling you right now, it's time for you to dream again. It's time for you to get into that space where you get before God and you say, hallowed be your name. You are a God of the impossible and I believe that you're able to do mighty things in my midst. It's time to dream again. So here's what I wanna do. Really simply, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, but I only want you to stand to feet if you are going to make a decision tonight to take a position of faith tomorrow. Only stand tonight if you will take a position of faith tomorrow because it is a choice. You will choose where you stand. And when a problem, a giant problem arises and it stands before you and you're looking at it and you're thinking, man, I don't know what to do this. You will remember this time and you will remember this moment. And you remember that night at Activate Church where you said, no, I said that whatever comes my way, I choose to take a position of faith. I'm going to stand and this will be the position I take. Whatever you say, God, it's the way I'm going. It's what I'm doing. I'm living for you. I'm living on purpose. I'm entertaining your dreams. I'm going after you and I'm not going to let anything stop me. Amen. If that's you, stand to your feet. You don't need to do it, but if you want to stand to your feet, if you're going to take a position of faith, We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.